Welcome to the Mostly Legal Podcast, a show where we dive into the hot topics facing law firms today. No topic is more timely than helping working parents create and achieve that elusive work-life harmony. Providing support to working parents drastically reduces turnover and directly increases job satisfaction. As a working mother to two preteens, I struggle daily with the guilt that I'm just not enough. Our guest this week, Lori Mahalik-Levin, helped me reframe that narrative. I'm Amanda Copeless, Executive Director of Sheffield, Loman & Wilson, a law firm based in Central Florida. And I'm Rob Joyner. As a father of twins, I also feel the weight of competing obligations. As a CEO and founder of Mindful Return, Lori guides new parents through the transition back to work after maternity and paternity leave. She is sage advice for both employees and employers. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Centerbase, billing and accounting software for law firms. Let's dive in. We have Lori Mahalik-Levin with us. She is an attorney. You are the founding principal of a firm called the GME Group, and you practice mostly in regulatory, medical, Medicare. I'm a Medicare regulatory nerd. Okay. All the nerd stuff. But really what you are passionate about, we have this little thing at the end of our episodes we call pitch your passion, but I feel like your passion is also your work a little bit. And so I'd like to hear you talk about your kind of journey, starting with having your kids and what has led you to where you are and what you have done in your career other than being an attorney. Yes. Excellent. Thank you. Um, my whole sort of past eight or nine years of my life have been all about that pivot to the point where I now practice law as my side gig and do this other passion thing for about 80% of my work week. So um, I, I'm happy that I get to do that. But if we rewind time to about 11 and a half, almost 12 years ago, I was working full time doing legal work for a healthcare trade association in-house and I had my first baby and it was incredibly challenging. With that little guy, he actually refused to take a bottle. And so I was pretty convinced that if I returned to work, I would starve my child, he would die. And you know, there would be a murderer (laughs) among us. And so that was not really a good way to start parenthood. Two years later, I had my second son. And I once again, went back to work full time after having him and My husband and I like to say that one plus one equaled 85. The wheels came off. Things were not pretty. No one was sleeping. (laughs) And I'm sure that I had some undiagnosed postpartum anxiety. And Mm -hmm. it was just, it was a dark time. And I looked around for resources that could help me with the, like navigating that transition to working parenthood. And I came up short. I found all sorts of snarky advice about how I shouldn't put a picture of my baby on my desk. Should not put a picture or you should? Oh, should not, because then people won't take me seriously if I'm going to be talking about my children at my office. I mean, this is what I was reading on the internet, right? I, I was reading <laughs> advice that, you know, I'm since I was pumping milk, like I might leak on my shirt and that wasn't professional. And I thought this is this is not helpful to the average working parent. And really, I set out to create some resources that I wished had existed for myself that would have helped me to calm down and make a smoother transition from working professional to working parent in a way that didn't make me feel pretty crappy about myself. That's a very shortened version of your story. But, you know, Rob, we talk about this a lot. He has twins and they're little, little littles. They turned five in two weeks. They turned five in two weeks. You have survived a lot then, Rob. I have. You should see the war wounds. Uh, I believe it. Believe it. And I have two and I, I did not get maternity leave with Mm. either of my children. My first 
my daughter, I was allowed to take off four full weeks. And then for the next four weeks, I was going to work part-time for this law firm. We're a small firm, like 10 or 15 attorneys at the time. I was the sole administrator and I had to run payroll from my hospital bed because even though I had offered to teach one of the attorneys to just run, like we had figured it out, I just had to run one payroll. I really could just get one run. They, they couldn't do it. So, or wouldn't, couldn't, whatever. But so I ran payroll from my hospital bed and then I took four weeks off. Amanda, wasn't this time. like 24 hours after giving birth to? Well, yeah, no, in the hot, yeah, because and yeah. I had a C-section. So yeah. I had not even, you know, how they, after C-section, they make you stay in bed for like 24 hours or something. I had not even gotten up to walk around yet and I was running payroll. And after those four weeks, they then allowed me to work from home for half days and be in the office the other half days. And they also put a lock on my door. It was so sweet. So I could breastfeed or, I mean, you know, pump while I was doing that and then pump in the car and pump there and back. And I, you know, I was working 60 hours a week. And so we have talked, Rob and I have talked to other administrators. And then after my second baby, we didn't get maternity leave either, but luckily I had some short-term disability. The larger firm did was able to bring somebody in to support me so I didn't have to work. But immediately after leave, I got an opportunity to start traveling. And so I had two littles at home and I spent three days every week on the road or one day a week or two days a week. And so when I heard about your return to work and your mindful return, I really wanted to hear more about it. So I know I'm asking all the questions, Rob. Do you have one before I keep going? No, go ahead. About me. I, well, I think it's really interesting too. I mean, it's tough, right? It's tough ha- finding that balance. I know you, you don't like the term work-life balance. Can you talk about why? Yes. And I just want to rewind for one second and say like to everyone listening, if you're going back to work after a baby is four weeks old, do you understand that the baby is just a blob at that point? Like they can do nothing yeah. for themselves. And I don't know that people fully understand how completely dependent that individual is on uh, you know, adult human beings and how long it takes to recover from a C-section. Like we're talking about maybe six weeks minimum just to recover from the C-section, let alone figuring out how to take care of babies. So I just want to say, Amanda, I am sorry. <laughs> and you know, on behalf of just, I don't know, the universe, how bad parental leave is, particularly in the United States. To your question, Rob, why do I hate the term work-life balance? For a number of reasons. One is that it separates work and life into these other buckets as though working is not part of our lives. First of all, I find that a little odd. Second, that the idea of balance is though everything's going to sit neatly on a scale and one side is going to tip a little and then we're going to adjust it. That's to me just a little bit foreign. If I had to come up with, not come up with, but use, you know, other terms that have been created, work-life integration sounds a little better for me. I just personally like the word life because work is a component and family is a component and self-care is a component, but like life is what happens to us on a daily basis. I hear you on that. I still struggle with the balance, right? We've talked about you're an attorney. Obviously, it's a lot of work. How do you find yourself? I don't know. I don't know a better term. How do you find yourself balancing that with being a parent? Part of it is how I structure my days and we can talk about time management strategies and all that stuff. And part of it is my mindset and how I view my day, right? Like I, I gave up the word busy about 
seven or eight years ago. And <laughs> I now say that my life is full. And you might say that that's sort of an inconsequential change, but it changes how I think about my day and the lens through which I look at it. I don't look at myself as haggard. And, you know, in the law firm world, the word busy is meant to indicate status and billable hours. And I just hated the idea that my value was defined by busy. So if I think of full, I think of happily full, like a basket that is overflowing, but in a good way with things that I really like. There's a psychologist at Brown University named Yael Schoenbrunn who writes a lot about work-life enrichment. And I like oh, to I like think of myself on a daily basis of all the ways that work enriches life and life enriches work. And so part of it for me is mindset. Part of it is also making sure on a weekly basis that I have carved out and put on my calendar time for those things that are my values and that I, you know, don't just say, well, I really believe in connecting with my family, but I'll see them in five years. No, like we actually <laughs> things on the calendar every weekend. I carve out three hours for myself to do whatever I want in the world. And my husband carves out three hours for himself to do whatever he wants in the world. These are the things that keep me sane. The daily okay. touch points, the daily yoga, the things like that. Rob, you do that. What? You are able to carve out time for yourself on the weekends. So you have that down. You have art. Yeah, I do. And I hear you. You know, you said mindset. And I had just written the word down, mindset down as well. Because what I'm hearing you say is, hey, it is what it is. I do set boundaries. But for me, it's more internal in the way... You know, I'm not really balancing everything going on. I'm having to deal with it still, but it's how I'm looking at it. It's my perception of how I'm going about my days. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I'm reading Yael Schoenbrunn's book. She sent me an advanced copy. It's coming out. It's called Work, Parent, Thrive. And yeah. she talks about this professor who says, I have the answer to work-life balance. And all the students were like, tell us. And he said, don't have any children or outside hobbies. <laughs> if you want these things and you want your life to be full and rich and have all these things, then they inherently then just don't have kids. <laughs> if you want a full, happy, rich life, don't have kids. And that is not at all. You're saying if you want, you know, to not feel like you're running in all these different directions, you know, we feel pulled in multiple directions because mm -hmm. we care about the things that we're being pulled in, right? I wouldn't be happy if I didn't have my family to support me and to spend time with. And I also wouldn't be happy if I were with my family 100% of the time, because guess what? During the pandemic, I was, and that was not pretty. So <laughs> I really appreciate that we have time apart as well. Just to follow up. So you said you set this time aside on the weekends, right? So that you can get things done. Talk about during the week, do you have certain boundaries? You know, you have, you have some executives you hear, they leave at 530, then it's family time for the next three hours. Do you have any of those boundaries you set during the week that have helped you? Yes, absolutely. So I have for a very long time practiced what is often referred to as the split shift. Mm -hmm. And in the split shift model, you go to work and then at the end of the day, you end quote unquote early. Um, I did have to leave for many years in advance of when my colleagues were leaving because daycare closed at a specific time right. and they charged us $10 a minute if we were late. So we were not going to be late to pick up our children. Then, you know, I would turn off my email and phone and all that. And I, all my clients knew when I was, you know, practicing at the law firm that I was basically like offline for a couple of hours. Although I told them that they could, you know, send an urgent text if there was, you know, a specific emergency or call me. Otherwise, I would return to them and attend to them after my children were in bed. 
And my hard boundary at night is 1030. That's the end of my split shift. That is the time that I shut down, that I make myself accountable to my husband, that like I'm shutting down, I'm turning off. And then I try to do something, even if it's for five minutes, that brings me joy and that I want to do so that I don't shut down only to mindlessly numb my brain with doom scrolling. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I resemble that remark. <laughs> it's hard, right? I mean, our devices are intended and built to suck us in and capture our attention. Yeah. So it's hard. But, um, you know, I sleep every night from 11 until 6.15. So like I get my seven hours of sleep. Like Those are my boundaries. I cannot operate in a healthy, happy stay mentally stable way without that sleep how did you sorry i'm gonna just keep going i know i'm like Uh, do do i get to ask a question i didn't know if this was the rob show the rob and amanda show for once it's a rob show because i'm really i'm really enjoying what you're saying Lori. so when you talk about that nothing to do with me at all got it okay no it doesn't have anything to do with you so (laughs) when we're talking about the the split shift and you you talked about how you set those boundaries I think for me, I'd almost feel guilt setting those boundaries. Did your coworkers appreciate those? Did they respect them? How did yeah. you guys navigate that together? I have a couple of stories to tell. And first, I want to note that I did not do the split shift in let's call it the first year to 18 months of my children's life because I was too ridiculously tired and there's no way I could have produced quality work from like 8 to 10 p.m. Um, right. when I was massively sleep deprived and they were waking up every couple of hours. So I just want to put that out there. Second, dealing with the guilt, right? So my cheeks used to burn when I walked out of my office at 4.30 to go get my kids in shame, right? It was guilt and shame of, oh my God, like I'm abandoning the team. And I told myself all sorts of really awful stories. And I think it has been, to be entirely honest, a whole decade of learning how to both combat the voices and stand strong in my boundaries and feel like, they're healthy and meaningful and good for me. One of the mantras that I adopted super early on was Teddy Roosevelt's quote, comparison is the thief of joy. So I would walk out of the office being like, comparison is the thief of joy. I'm doing me. I need to do what's right for me and my family. I also would counter pushback with questions about whether the person who I was speaking with who was pushing back had advocated for themselves in any way. So for example, whenever I came back from parental leave, I asked for and was given one day a week work from home. And that was back in the day when like pre-pandemic, nobody did this, right? And my supervisor said, yeah, sure, you can have Fridays work from home, no problem. And we didn't necessarily have an end point on it. And a colleague who did not have children, but lived far away and had a horrid commute said to me, that is not fair. You know, it's not fair that just because you have kids, you get to work from home on Friday, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) And my comment to her was, have you ever asked for a work from home day? I don't think it's because I have children. I mean, it happened to coincide with my having children, but have you ever asked? And she said, sheepishly, no. She went to our supervisor, said, I have this long commute, blah, blah, blah. Can I have a work from home day? And the supervisor said, yeah, no problem. (laughs) It's also a matter of telling people like the fact that you're not advocating for yourself is not my problem. We both can advocate for ourselves. I have also over time learned really good guilt reframes. A leadership coach who I really admire and respect, I'll reference her here. Her name is Lauren Gordon. She's a wonderful working parent coach. She says, when your brain offers you the thought, I am feeling guilty because I am leaving work early or whatever, reframe that to, I made this decision because. So, you know, sort of standing there and saying, 
in my values, I made this decision, which sort of takes the sting out of it and helps you to ground in what you believe. The final thing that I will say, because I could talk about guilt for a long time. Is, um, Keep going. It's great. Laura Vander- we both suffer from it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we do. Therapy yeah. session. I'm going to pull this book out because I, I just love this one quote. Laura Vanderkam, who's a time management expert, she just uh, had a new book come out this week called Tranquility by Tuesday that I'm about to read. But she has this book called Juliet's School of Possibilities, which is a parable about prioritization and making these boundary decisions and choices in life. And she writes, and here's the thing, there can be infinite expectations. Even if you never slept, you could not meet all the expectations of your employer, your colleagues, your clients, your friends, your family, or yourself. You cannot do everything. The choice to meet one expectation is always a choice not to meet another. So when I'm like, oh, I can't meet everybody's expectations. Cool. (laughs) Leave because it's impossible for me to meet them. And the law, I think, is that jealous mistress, that that never enoughness, right? Like you can build whatever number of hours and guess what? You're at zero on the first day of the next month again, right? So when I, I got my head in the space of recognizing that it would just never be enough, that sort of let me off the hook. That's so powerful because I do struggle with a lot of guilt. I am not a great mom. I say it all the time. Like some people are built to be a mom. I'm just not that person. And I do struggle with guilt because I'll I'll admit that my son has a baseball game. If I want to make that game, I'd have to leave in six minutes from right now. And I am not because I wanted to do and needed to record this episode of the podcast. So I'm going to make it, but I will be late. And I sit there and think, is that make me a good mom or make me a bad mom? And you've told me, you answered me when I said this before, told me I was a bad mom. You really lifted me up. (laughs) (laughs) You want to tell me how, uh, do you want me to tell everyone how I lifted you up? How did you lift me up the last time I told you I thought I was a bad mom? I first just want to say, like, is it helpful to say, am I a good or a bad mom? It's like Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. Am I a good witch or a bad witch? There is no such thing. <laughs> I'm just a witch. I know that. <laughs> but I, I let you know that there is a theory, a principle in psychology called good enough parenting, where allowing our children to work through their feelings and emotions and not be snowplowed and picked up all the time is healthy for them, right? And we can do enough, and that is actually better sometimes than doing too much. I read this book called um, Advice to My Younger Me by uh, Sarah Holtz. It's career lessons from 100 successful women. And she interviewed 50 working moms and she asked them what their biggest regret was. Like she did it when their their kids were much older. Yeah. And you you know what their top regret was? Worrying so much about being a working mom. Oh, Hmm. wow. None of them said, I didn't spend enough time in my son's baseball game. And then there was a subgroup, you know, the second most common answer about regrets about being a working mom was, I don't have any. <laughs> so and this was people who were whose kids were grown up, right? I'm going to listen back to this in 10 years when my son's 18 and see how I feel about it. We can all let ourselves off the hook a little bit. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. I will try. I will try very hard to let myself off the hook. But my kids and I have had this conversation like, they'll complain when I get home late. And then, and that's kind of a lot of where the guilt comes. Mm -hmm. Mommy, you got home at eight, you got home at eight, you got home at eight. And it's, I hear this a lot. And I try to have an honest conversation with them and say, sweetheart, you see that TV 
that you're watching while you're holding your iPad and your phone all at the same time. And in this nice house with a all the food in front of you, all of that comes from the way I work. Like she's 12 and she has an Uber Eats app on her phone. <laughs> and when she goes to a sleepover, not like two weekends ago, I woke up in the morning and it, at midnight, she had gone on her Uber Eats app and added three SpongeBob popsicles to be delivered to her from 7-Eleven from an Uber driver at midnight. Hmm. So some guy had to go up and buy three popsicles and take them to her and her friends. And we did have a conversation about how that isn't the proper use of Uber Eats. But I said to her later, the reason you are able to spend $25 on three popsicles is because of the hours that I work <laughs> Amanda, you are ridiculous. I know, I know, I know. I'm just thinking how screwed I am in seven years if this is what it's like for a 12-year-old today. <laughs> yeah, exactly. May I offer you one thought, Amanda? Yes, please. Because Get rid of Uber Eats off my daughter's phone. <laughs> I think it's super helpful for our children to understand what things cost and how you have to work in order to earn money. And I, I think that we need to explain that. In addition to that, and in terms of like combating your guilt, I wonder what would happen if when you came home and they're like, we can't believe you came home late, you know, reflecting back to them, like, you're really sad that I came back really late today. I missed you too. Is there something like cool and fun that we can do together for the next half an hour? Cause I'm here. And yeah, just sort of like validating their feelings and saying, I missed you also. And let's, let's reconnect and moving away from justifying it, because I think the justification is where we get ourselves wrapped up in the guilt. I also, in this book that I'm reading, Work Parent Thrive, she tell, the author tells a story about a woman who's a comedian. And because she does stand up, she's gone in the evenings right. all the time. And she's a working mom. And the, her son was always complaining, complaining. And then one day, you know, in an effort to reframe the guilt, she says to him, are you proud of me? And he says, Aww. oh, my gosh, I love that you're a stand-up comic. <laughs> so she's like, I take that to heart and, you know, just have another way of looking at how my work affects my son. I love it. Let's talk about mindful return. Mm. And I was looking into this a little bit more, and it's an employee benefit. And I'd like you to talk about not only where it came from, but what it does, what it is, what companies are using it, and that sort of thing. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to share that. So I said earlier that I created what I wished had existed for myself. And what I basically created was an opportunity for community and high quality content for people who are transitioning to working parenthood. Through Mindful Return, we offer a course, an online asynchronous course. You don't have to be anywhere at any given time of day or night, but you're in a community with people who are all returning to work around the same time you are. We offer one for new moms and one for new dads. And we offer a new group that starts every other month. So basically, like it falls within whatever parental leave you have. And in this four week online experience, you have four different themes. The first theme is a mindful mindset for going back to work after parental leave. This is like how to get your head in a better place. The second week is all about the logistics of returning to help you plan for whether you're going to be pumping or not pumping, you know, how you're going to nourish your baby, how you're going to transition your kid to childcare, all those things. The third week is about leadership in the space of return and really standing on its head, this idea that parenthood somehow has wrecked your career and focusing on the idea that you are gaining skills through parenthood that are directly applicable to your job and how we can tout those. 
Then the fourth week is all about building and staying in community so you don't isolate yourself crying on the kitchen floor like I did for way too long in early parenthood. (laughs) So you go through this experience with other peers from all different companies and employers who are all going back to work around the same time you are. And then you're basically part of an ongoing alumni community within Mindful Return, and we do monthly calls and things like that. We also have a program for experienced parents now called Mindful Return 201, which was inspired by the alums who were a few years down the line and said, oh, it's still kind of challenging and we can do it. We have 93 employers right now that are using Mindful Return as a parental leave benefit. And about half of them, I think it's 45 or 46, are law firms. Um, The rest are in all different industries from furniture making companies to engineers to, I, I mean, I have to, if I were to generalize, I would say it's male-dominated industries that tend to lose a lot of female talent over time are, and are interested in changing that dynamic and in retaining their employees. Um, and we've seen some really wonderful and impressive retention statistics come out of Mindful Return. On average, the national average rate of return for new moms is around 64%, meaning the average employer loses about a third of their female talent whenever those women go on leave. We took the first thousand people who had been through Mindful Return and looked at a five-year period, and we found that 85% of those people were still with their same employer and 93% were still in the workforce. To me, that says when an employer says to the employee, hey, I want you to come back and I'm going to give you a tool to help you through that process, it makes it more likely that the employee navigates the process more smoothly and then wants to stay at the employer. I think it's it's so like it it's 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 like I, I, I have no words. I'm sorry. I'm so excited about this because as a law firm administrator, we struggle with the end result, which are female partners in equity positions, right? Yes. So female ownerships of firm. But in order to have a female equity partner, you have to have had a female non-owner partner. Mm -hmm. In order to have that, you had to have a female senior associate and then a female associate. Mm -hmm. And most of these women will have a baby sometime in their later associate or, or, or beginning partner years. And if you lose 33% of those people who you have worked and built and encouraged and, Mm -hmm. uh, done all of that mentoring to you lose one out of three of them, you're never going to solve the problem of having enough women at the top, top, because you have lost a third of them in the middle. I know know I'm saying this to you, but I also am saying this in general because more firms really need to be looking at how do we keep that 33%. It's more than just leaving completely. Some of it is disengaging. Mm -hmm. How is the partnership track affected Mm -hmm. because of that? Is there a setback? Are your hours lost? You know, your hours are going to go down the year and the year after. And if partnership is built on hitting our schedules every single year, you're not going to be the same as your male co-worker, co-associate who didn't take the leave that you took. And on that point... Yeah. I'm now your late I'm now your newest spokesperson. <laughs> Thank you, Amanda. But on your last point, we have to normalize the taking of parental leave for moms mm. and dads, right? Because if it is just as normal for a dad to take the same amount of time off as a mom, we reduce that stigma, you know, that is applied to women. And so Yes, to everything that you said. I think the reason that I found in Mindful Return was the leaky women's leadership pipeline. And I have grown to stand on a soapbox with some frequency about the idea that we need to de-gender 
caregiving and degender, how we talk about caregiving. And when a firm has a policy that applies equally to all parents and a partner says to a male associate, are you actually going to go out on any of that leave? It's a very different conversation than if the partner says to the associate, when are you planning to take your parental leave and let's work on that? You know, it's it's just a different word message, but it's it's a very different tone. It's when are you taking leave? Not mm-hmm. are you actually going to do that thing? And like, isn't it a vacation anyway? I mean, we really have to change the way we're talking about parental leave. Can't you just log in when the baby's sleeping? Yeah. In a few um, hours here and there. You're taking a vacation uh, for this? I told you before that when I had my first baby and I told you I had no leave, my husband works for Target, which is a large national company. And he was part-time, but they do still have parental leave benefits. He got more paid parental leave as a part-time employee at Target as a father than I got from the law firm I was working for. It's kind of mind-boggling. It's kind of baffling. <laughs> but it was very helpful because he ended up being a stay-at-home dad. And also he was – he's a very engaged mm-hmm. father, way more engaged than a lot of fathers I know. I mean, right now he's sitting at the baseball field with my son. I'm very fortunate, I know, to have more of that gender balance. But yes, I agree. Normalizing leave for both parents. And if law firms want to retain this next generation of working dads, they're going to need to – come around to the idea that they need to normalize this conversation too. I mean, I've talked to male associates at law firms who have said, yeah, you know, I had my first baby at this firm and that was not good because nobody treated my leave appropriately. When we go to have our second, I'm definitely not going to be here. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's a retention tool, how you treat your employees. We talked about the fact that I have twins. I took two weeks off when the twins were born. One for each baby. Yeah. And then my my wife was stuck at home with the two twins, which was you know, hard on her. And I wanted to be there as well. I just felt the pressure to come back. My question to you on the topic of motherhood and working, working moms as a spouse, right? As a husband, what can we do to support our working wives or spouses? I love this question. And I'm certified in a program called Fair Play. So I'm probably going to go off in that direction. But one thing that you can absolutely do is ask your partner what the partner needs support with. And Mm -hmm. then once the partner describes to you what support is required, you not just take on a specific task, but you manage the CPE of the whole task. And I'll explain what CPE is. This is from Eve Rodsky's book, Fair Play, which I would recommend every couple who is raising children in this world, get a copy of, or you could watch the documentary called Fair Play and just spend an hour together with your partner and watch this. CPE CPE is the conception, planning, and execution of the task. When one person owns all the conception and planning and just delegates execution, that person still has a very full mental load of all the stuff that needs to get done. In Fair Play, they use these cards for each of the daily tasks and things that need to get done in a household. If you can find a way to equitably, I didn't say equally necessarily, but equitably divide up these cards in a way that allows a person to own the task from start to finish, including the thinking about the fact that you have to do the task in the first place, (laughs) is the most helpful thing one can do to support one's partner in parenthood. My husband will do the task, but all the thinking. Nick listens to the podcast too. What'd you say? Nick listens to the podcast. I know. And I love him. 
Nick, since you are listening, you are the best dad and husband. When I tell people that my husband does all the dishes, almost all the laundry, I don't know what day trash day is. I don't know what son, what days my son has baseball. He does all of the grocery shopping. I haven't been inside of a grocery store in almost two years. I am extremely fortunate. And yet I still have that mom guilt. So I don't know what people who have to do it all. I can't imagine. Yeah. Changing topics a little bit. Talk to us a little more about your book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mentioned this before we started recording too. For somebody that might have interest in writing a book, can you talk about that mm-hmm. process some too? Sure. I think every book writing journey is unique probably. And my book is called Back to Work After Baby, How to Plan and Navigate a Mindful Return from Maternity Leave. And the way my book came to be, Rob, is that I was blogging on a weekly basis. When I started Mindful Return in 2014, it started with me sort of like shaking in front of a computer. Oh my gosh, I'm going to write something and then I'm going to put it on a blog. And, you know, 12 people probably read the first blog post, but I was still scared to put it out there. But then I got more confident putting it out there. I started a weekly newsletter that I still run now called mm. Saturday Secrets, um, which is like a quick Q&A tip for working parents that comes out every Saturday morning. And after blogging for about two years, I looked back and said, holy moly, I've written a lot about working parenthood and a lot about going back to work after parental leave. And maybe just maybe I've already written a book. And I sat down and sort of started weaving all of it together. And I wove it together, wove what I had already written and then supplemented with some new writing into the four themes of my course, which are mindset, logistics, leadership, and community. And sort of like picked out all the things that I had written and put them in those four buckets and realized that for some people who weren't going to necessarily have access to the course or the community that I was teaching, that the book would be a much more affordable and accessible way for a broader population to be able to get access to this wisdom. So really it was a weaving together process as opposed to a sit down and write a book process. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. So we have just hit on about a million and a half subjects and I wish we could just talk for even longer, but I want us to go into our final segment, which is the pitch your passion segment. And like I said, when I started this, your this whole segment is about passion. But if you had to pick one that you had to pitch for two minutes, what would it be? Supporting people through the return to work after parental leave really is that one thing that I am most passionate about. I hate the feeling of being isolated in new parenthood and so many new parents feel so alone that the opportunity to join a cohort and join a community, I think is really the thing that gets me most excited. I once said before creating Mind for Return, if somebody could just pay me to build communities of people that support each other, you know, that's what I would do (laughs) because that's what I care most about, you know, being in a world where people can say, oh my gosh, me too. I'm experiencing that too. It doesn't feel quite as weird when you hear other people say that they're going through the same thing. So the Mindful Return course that runs every other month for new moms and every other month for new dads and that employers can provide as a benefit is exactly what I would pitch. Well, Lori, thank you so much for joining us today. We've had a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on. I I loved hearing your working parent experiences as well, Rob and Amanda. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Most Illegal Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on mostlylegalpodcast.com 
where you can sign up for our email list, get weekly recaps, and get some of your very own Mostly Legal swag.